So this morning's reading is from John chapter 17, uh, and we're reading the whole chapter. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me, before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Thanks, Dave. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, so today, um, the kind of questions that are um, the beginning of this talk is, what does it mean to be an ordinary Christian? And how can we use ordinary Christian lives for God's extraordinary purposes? Probably seems like a bit of an odd question, 
What does it mean to be an ordinary Christian? And as a bit of a spoiler to where I'm going with this, is that there really is no such thing um, as an ordinary Christian. The idea for this uh, takes me back to my time at university, um, figuring out what was going to come next for me after I finished my studies. A number of my Christian friends that I had at university studied theology, um, so they knew a lot about the Bible. Uh, Many of them, theologian friends and other Christian friends, uh, went on after their studies to work for Christian charities, to do church work. Um, Some of them took an extra Christian gap year or even went to do mission work abroad. In my final year at university, I was offered a job that, to me, looked like the perfect job. I was offered the position of a school travel consultant um, in a company uh, based in Birmingham that organises educational school trips, almost exclusively for schools and uh, for trips all over the world. Um, It's given me the chance to use my languages, which is what I studied, Um, as I speak to partners that we have in other countries, and I also get to do um, a bit of traveling as well. It's a completely secular workplace, um, and on the face of it, it doesn't really look like I'm doing God's work. And I think when I was hearing about um, all these things that my other Christian friends were doing, it made me feel a little bit downhearted, because others were doing things, something that was so obviously connected to their faith. However, what I've come to realize um, over the past couple of years while I've been in this job, and the encouragement that I hope to bring today, is that if we're a Christian trying to follow Jesus' example in the life that he lived, then we're doing God's work. Then everything that we do is connected to our faith. It's one of my little bugbears when people ask, how's your Christian life? As if it's separate from everything else that you do in life. Because really, our our life is our Christian life. At work, um, I have some really good friends. We're a small team, very tightly knit team. We spend eight hours a day, five days a week, in the same office, doing the same job. I do a lot of life with them, and we hang out outside the office as well. And in doing that life alongside them, I get to share Jesus with them. It's not always an obvious, direct conversation about faith. They're not always asking me, oh, Zoe, how did you become a Christian? Um, But in doing life alongside them, I hope that I have the opportunity to live uh, life with them and bring a little bit of Jesus and his life uh, into their lives by the life that I live and the example that I try and set following Jesus. I might just see myself as a pretty ordinary person doing ordinary everyday things and therefore I'm a pretty ordinary Christian but as I said there isn't really any such thing um, because of what being a Christian actually means. Our reading uh, today that Dave read um, is a prayer that Jesus prayed not long before he was crucified. And I think it tells us a lot about what it means to live a Christian life 
and what that looks like to the world. So let's have a look at um, what we find out, the things that we learn from this passage about what it means to be a Christian. From verse 2, we read that we are given eternal life. In verse 3, that we know God. And later on, when uh, verse 20, Jesus prays for us. In 21, that we are one and we are in God. In verse 22, that Jesus has given us the glory that God gave him. And in verse 23, God has and does continue to love us. I think one of the most remarkable things about this is that none of them are conditional on anything. They're truths that we can and should believe because they are true, because Jesus said them. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They're not true only if we come to church every Sunday or only if we read our Bibles every day. They're true no matter what. And they're truths about every believer, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or 50 minutes. These are truths about each and every believer. Jesus died on a cross because he so loved us, that we might have the joy of eternal life, that we may know God, be in him, and have him in us. And to me, that's no ordinary thing. That's incredible. Um, We're loved by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth. Um, Last week, as Martin was sharing while we were away with our young people and some of the young people from other local churches, um, we saw people give their lives to Jesus for the first time. On one of the evenings, Matt spoke to us um, about God's question, where are you? And we saw a handful of the young people ready and willing to answer, here I am. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and the knowledge that they are loved and accepted by God. And some of them may have a testimony that starts, I grew up in a Christian family. They may go on to live seemingly ordinary lives, but something extraordinary happened in their life last week. They were met by the living God. And it's such an exciting thing when people first come to faith. But as we shared in that excitement, it reminded me, um, while I was thinking as well about what I was going to share this morning, It reminded me that we too have that same joy and excitement as we we continue to follow Jesus throughout our lives. It may be that we made that initial commitment and had that first moment of excitement many, many years ago, but it doesn't mean that was the first and only time we met with God. Um, As Martin was saying, some of us had the chance to share a bit of our testimony um, while we were away. And those testimonies all started with, I grew up in a Christian family. And it seems maybe a bit of a cliche, maybe it's the beginning of a testimony we've heard so many times. It might feel like a boring beginning to our journey of faith. 
But then we were able to share so many different ways that we've seen God at work in our lives. We were four or five different people from doing completely different things with very different backgrounds. And we've all seen God work through various challenges and seasons of life. We wanted to encourage uh, the young people that they can use their gifts, their skills in whatever they're doing, wherever they are, for the furthering of God's kingdom. We so often look, and I know I did as a young person, look at our teachers, our preachers, our worship leaders, and think there's no way we can do what we do, so we can't really do much for God. It's so easy to get bogged down thinking we're not good enough, thinking someone else is better equipped. We're too young, too old, we don't know enough. That's certainly how I felt comparing myself to my theologian friends. But there may well be people in our lives for whom we may be one of or even the only Christian that they come into contact with on a regular basis. That to me suddenly feels like a huge responsibility. But perhaps it's a great opportunity. There are people that each of us will be able to connect with on certain levels that other people just can't because of different hobbies, different interests. And through those things, through connecting with people over other similar things, we're able to, uh, this allows us to share our faith with them. What if we had that mentality that I'm the only person, I'm the only Christian this person will meet with? Therefore, how can I show God's love to them? I think maybe we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but it can be as straightforward as loving people. Loving people how Jesus loved, which can be difficult. But we love people who perhaps never expect to feel loved, to feel accepted. But also it's not our job to convert people and change hearts, which is always an encouragement, I find. But in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we love people, can we give them the opportunity to experience God's love for themselves just by sharing little bits of that with them? I think God has given each of us a unique set of gifts and talents that we can use where we are in our day-to-day lives. It's likely there aren't others, if anyone else, in that exact situation with our precise gifts and talents. Because I believe God has put each and every one of us in that place where we are with those set of gifts. And he longs for us to use that use what he has given us for the furthering of his kingdom. I want to share part of a song by the band Casting Crowns that's called Love You With The Truth. These words have been very powerful to me and the song always comes into my head when I don't feel like I can possibly make a difference. It reminds me that loving people and just living a life that tries to live like Jesus can really make a difference. So the first verse and then the chorus um, say this. For the longest time, I believed the lie 
that I'm not a strong enough believer to be the friend that can take your hand and lead you straight to Jesus. I'm waiting on the preachers, the singers, and the teachers to string the perfect words together. But every single time I have to say goodbye, I wonder, will this be the last time? I can't call myself your friend and walk away. When we love, we earn the right to speak the truth. When we speak the truth, we show the world we truly love. I'm not pointing my finger, I'm holding out my hand. I lay it all on the line now to see God save my friend. Let my life and my words be the proof I'm gonna love you with the truth. That line, let my life and my words be the proof, I think is so powerful. It's such an important reminder that to live our lives as a living example, may that be the most persuasive argument that we have for the message of the gospel, that we live lives that imitate the life of Jesus. We're not all preachers and teachers. Most of us probably can't string the perfect words together at the exact moment that we feel we need to. But what we can do is come alongside people, love them, let our lives and our words be the proof that the Lord Jesus lives, that he's worked in our lives, that he longs to know us, and he longs to know those around us. Um, while I was away, we were away last week, I was having a chat um, with Ian Pope, who a number of you will remember from his time here. And he pointed me towards the character of Andrew. Andrew was one of Jesus' disciples, and he's only mentioned a few times in the Gospels. He's included in the list of disciples, um, and he's mentioned when he is called to be a disciple alongside Simon Peter. And in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, he's the one that brings the young boy to Jesus. It doesn't seem like there's anything particularly remarkable about those times when he's mentioned in the Bible until we read further about what happens as a result of that. So how do we use our lives that may feel somewhat ordinary for extraordinary purposes? We do life with Jesus and we do life with other people. If all Christians were teachers and preachers, there would be no one doing normal life with normal people. We want Christians to be lawyers, teachers, doctors, because we're called to make, to make disciples of lawyers, teachers, and doctors. We're called to make disciples of all peoples and all nations, which means anyone and everyone. Most people are walking around doing ordinary lives. I really loved that, the image that Nicola chose for the new sheet, um, if some of you saw that, was a great illustration of that. Several people busying about crossing a road, going about doing their ordinary lives. It makes me think of a photograph that my dad took when we were in New York at Grand Central Station, and there's just loads of people busying around, 
walking about doing their ordinary, everyday lives. So how can we meet those people where they're at and share life with them and therefore share Jesus with them? We were never expected to make disciples of all nations on our own. At the end of Jesus' prayer, he prays, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus prays for his disciples that they not be taken out of the world, but that they be protected from the evil one. Jesus shows in this prayer that he is the overcomer. And if we share his life, we share in his overcoming of death, and we too are victorious with him. Like we sang, we are more than conquerors. We are defiant in his name. And this is something that surely should inform the way that we live our lives. We have the freedom to live our lives as free people. We're no longer slaves to sin. We no longer bow to sin or to shame. We're no longer bound by the guilt of the wrong things that we do. But free to live in the freedom that Jesus' blood bought on the cross. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And we've been given the word of God as a great resource. We read in John that the Father gave the words to the Son, in verse 8, who then gave them to his disciples, and they, in turn, have passed it on to us. One Bible commentary I was reading said, The word is divine in origin, a precious gift from heaven. We must never take God's word for granted, for those who are overcomers know the word and how to use it in daily life. That's not to say we must all be great biblical scholars. But armed with those truths that we know that are written in the Bible, we have the power also to overcome. So with these tools in mind, with the knowledge that Jesus lives within us, that he has overcome the world, and with the word of God, may we use these tools to further God's kingdom in the places that we are, with the people that we meet on a regular basis. For we too are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Our behaviors should mark us out as different from those around us. Not be so alien that we can't relate to others. We still meet with them and meet with them where they are. We share life in hobbies and interests, but still be different so that they may notice Jesus living in us. My prayer today is that none of us feel that our lives or our story or our walk with Jesus is anything near ordinary or boring. Because the truth is we've all had some kind of encounter with the living Lord Jesus. I believe that because we're here this morning. Whether it happened that you came to faith a long time ago, or whether you don't think you're a Christian but someone brought you here this morning, I believe we've all had an encounter with Jesus because he wanted us to be here this morning to worship together. 
And I pray that we feel encouraged to be extraordinary in our normal lives. That people would see Jesus living within us. Not necessarily in huge, life-changing ways, but in small acts of kindness, showing compassion, forgiveness, joy, peace, and patience. In situations where we just wouldn't normally see that kind of behavior. Isn't it a wonderfully exciting thing that God invites us to join him, be part of his kingdom, his plan here on earth? And it doesn't have to be in big, remarkable ways. We're not all singers and preachers and teachers, but we do life in ordinary ways with ordinary people, and that allows us to share Jesus with them. If the way we live our life reflects our Lord Jesus Christ, surely this is remarkable. We thought earlier about what it means to be a Christian, which shows us that it's no ordinary thing. The Lord Jesus living within us is a truly incredible thing. So let's live lives that are made extraordinary by reflecting Jesus and the love that he showed to us by dying on the cross. Let our lives and our words be the truth, be the proof that God loves each and every one of us and longs for us to show that love to other people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have called us here to be your people, to live lives that are extraordinary. May we be encouraged that our lives and our story, our walk with you, are not ordinary or boring because you have met with us. And that's a truly special thing. We thank you that we've all been offered eternal life with you, which is no ordinary thing. May we be bold enough and have the courage to live life differently amongst your people. Would people see something different in us because you have changed our lives? And may we trust that you have a plan for our lives, knowing that you have put us exactly where you want us to be. It may not be the plan that we had for our own lives, but we thank you that your ways are perfect. And would we trust, trust in you, trust in your love for us. Father, we thank you that we have the power to overcome because Jesus has already overcome. And may we be bold enough to let our lives and words be the proof that you are God, that you are the King of Kings and you long to know us, be in us and be in those around us. Amen.